Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. John McCain, the long-serving and highly respected U.S. Republican Senator for Arizona, former fighter pilot, Vietnam War POW, will finally be buried later tonight our time at the U.S. Naval Academy. This follows a week of memorials and tributes to the 81-year-old who died last weekend of brain cancer. At a service yesterday at the Washington National Cathedral, amongst the official mourners, former Presidents George W. Bush, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. We come to celebrate an extraordinary man, a warrior, a statesman, a patriot embodied so much that is best in America. President Bush and I are among the fortunate few who competed against John at the highest levels of politics. He made us better presidents, just as he made the Senate better, just as he made this country better. Well, there was plenty of oratory on show at all of these services. Uh, Jimmy Carter, by the way, sent a message to the funeral, and President Trump was not invited. He did tweet. However, given his earlier comments, perhaps that was all he could do. Donald Trump had raised the ire of ex-service groups and many others after criticising John McCain, saying at one stage he's not a, he wasn't a patriot. When John McCain died, he flew the White House flag at half-mast for a short period of time, not for the whole time he was lying in state. There was a huge controversy, and then uh, Donald Trump had to sort of lower the flag again. Later tonight, the final reading before the burial of John McCain will be uh, read by Doug, his oldest son. That's from Ephesians. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers and darkness of this world. Just one of many things with laden with meaning that John McCain had planned for his own funeral service. Well, John Barron is a friend of this program. He's from Planet America. He's a fellow of the U.S. Studies Centre. Hi, John. Welcome back. Good to be with you, Stephen. Well, you got up close and personal with John McCain over a, a period in which you tracked his campaign, his presidential campaign. What's your best memory of John McCain? I think my my enduring memory of, of John McCain, Stephen, is probably seeing him in, in, in early January 2008 when he was conducting what was his 100th town hall a campaign event yeah. uh, in the state of New Hampshire, and uh, at that stage he uh, he was um, just recovering from uh, a, a few early setbacks in uh, in his campaign, and uh, he was well on his way to uh, in the next couple of days winning that state, which really sort of vaulted him to the front of the Republican field, and ultimately he became the candidate that year. But his his approach to to that crowd, his sort of hands on politicking, his openness to take lots and lots and lots of questions in that sort of town hall format mm. was really a, a mark of McCain and the fact that he was prepared to to bear his soul uh, to uh, to talk about um, you know, so many aspects of his life in politics and in the military and, and so on. He really was a, a very authentic uh, political figure and one that certainly in a state like New Hampshire uh, voters responded to and it really was the making of his presidential nomination. There are so many glimpses of um, 
of real greatness, humility there. And there's one that comes to my mind when an American voter in one of those town hall meetings, when she came up and started railing against um, the the birthplace, the supposed birthplace, birthright of Barack Obama. You know, he's, he's an African. And Trump dra- grabs the microphone from her and contradicts her. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a man who was keen to set the record straight. He certainly was. I, I would say there's a complexity to that, Stephen, though, because in, in many ways, John McCain had invited some of the racially and religiously bigoted tinged uh, discussion of Barack Obama through some of the things that he did in that campaign, including nominating Sarah Palin, who was almost sort of a prototype Trump as his vice presidential running mate. But yes, mm. you're absolutely right. When at the end of the day, John McCain did the right thing. And that was one of the most redeeming things about John McCain. He, he was far from perfect as, as, a, as, a, as a man and as a politician, as well as, as a, uh, an airman in the Vietnam War. But mm-hmm. his character was measured in those moments where he did stand up and say the right thing or do the right thing. And that, and that is what so many people, whether they were his political friends or, or enemies, respected about John McCain, that he was capable of self-criticism and self-correction. And he, he later wrote that uh, naming Sarah Palin as his running mate was a mistake. Mm. And he regretted the part that he might have played in letting that kind of populist, nationalist, racially tinged candidacy such as Sarah Palin's to become a prototype for Donald Trump. And that was part of his perhaps personal regrets mm. around the, the rise of Donald Trump as well, that he may have played some part in that. Well, that, that is so interesting. We'll go to where that came from in a moment, but just to note that he'd spent much of his last days on this earth, you know, laying little landmines for, for Donald Trump, but really calling his fellow Americans to something better. And so much of that was reflected in the services that we've seen. Joe, Joe Biden, the Democrat vice president, stood up at the funeral and saying, I'm Joe Biden and I'm a Democrat. You know, goes on to say, I loved John McCain. And he said he loved Americans, all 325 million of us. Just one other little glimpse that, as one writer put it, John McCain in so many ways was the, the antithesis of Donald Trump. Yeah, it, it was great to see the friendship between Joe Biden and John McCain, which endured for, for close to half a century. Uh, Joe Biden was already a young senator in the mid-1970s when John McCain came back from North Vietnam after five and a half years as a prisoner of war. Mm. And McCain started working as a a congressional liaison for the U.S. Navy while he was still in the Navy before he became a member of Congress and then a member of the Senate himself in the 1980s. And he and Joe Biden formed a, a, a strong bond. In, in those early days, uh, and one that uh, then they served side by side for, uh, for more than 30 years in the US Senate, even though they were on opposite sides of the aisle. Uh, the, I guess the, the, the pathos, the, the poignancy of, of Joe Biden eulogising his friend John McCain last Friday. Uh, John McCain died of the, the same glioblastoma brain cancer yes. that claimed the life of, of Joe Biden's son, Beau, three years ago. Mm. The same brain cancer, of course, that claimed the life of another great American senator, a friend of both Biden and McCain, in, in Teddy Kennedy who died nine years to the day of the same brain cancer as as John McCain. So Joe Biden has made it a part of his 
post-vice-presidential career uh, running a, a major foundation to, uh, to provide money for cancer research. And of course, it's, it's, it's also possible that Joe Biden is considering what would be one final uh, attempt at, at winning the White House for himself. He's already run twice, just as McCain did. Yeah. Joe Biden, like John McCain, looks at uh, Donald Trump and, and thinks that here is somebody who is temperamentally and, and frankly morally unfit to hold the presidency of the United States. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's go to that place of uh, John McCain's faith. So, unlike a lot of politicians, he didn't make uh, as, as so much of his faith, perhaps, as that it, it came out in his character. He wasn't always stumping up and you know claiming um, great relationships with evangelicals as some have done in recent times but he was an episcopalian who ended up in a baptist church but as i understand from things i've read this week he actually became the chaplain the unofficial chaplain to his fellow prisoners when he was uh, captured by the vietnamese and and had to call to mind bible verses from memory so that they could discuss them because they weren't allowed to have a bible yeah, and that was a that was an extraordinary thing for McCain to have done, and 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 somewhat out of character. He did have this reputation that we, we talk about him being a maverick senator, but he was certainly a maverick navy pilot. He was he was the son and grandson of admirals of the fleet. He bore their name, but he graduated at the dead bottom of his class from the naval academy. He had all sorts of disciplinary problems. He was not seen as a as a, a particularly um, uh, well. He wasn't seen as a, a particularly um, model uh, pilot. skilled pilot. Right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Apparently, he's he a very bad driver. Yeah, didn't didn't take kindly to accepting the orders of others. Maybe <laughs> that was because he'd been always rebelling against the admiral, <laughs> his father, and his grandfather. Mm. But of course, you know, when, after he he crashed on what was his twenty third combat mission over North Vietnam, he ejected from the plane after it was hit by a, a surface-to-air missile. He, uh, he was badly injured when he, when he hit the ground. Both of his arms were broken. He was then surrounded by an angry mob of North Vietnamese hmm. who uh, proceeded to bayonet him, almost finishing off the job uh, and killing him. He survived. He was taken to the so-called Hanoi Hilton, and his arms were, were very poorly cast, uh, and through repeated torture over the, the next five years or more, he uh, those those broken arms were targeted by his tormentors. So so fascinating that at that point, of course, he turned back to to his faith mm. as a way of of finding the strength to endure what was an incredible period of of not just captivity and solitary confinement, but but absolute torture, uh, excruciating physical pain that he was subjected to, so much so that he did, and he and he had to deal with this as a part of himself and the complexity of the man, that he, he did give the North Vietnamese information, the kind of information that servicemen and women are trained not to give, even under torture. So he did tell them of uh, some of the targets uh, in North Vietnam that the US was, was going to be targeting. He did give names of other service personnel. Uh, he also famously, of course, under torture, uh, gave a list of names which turned out to be the, uh, the running backs of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, <laughs> but the North Vietnamese didn't, uh, didn't know at the, at the time. So his service and the whole question of his heroism, it's so interesting that, that this came up, you know, uh, with Donald Trump first refusing to call him a hero in, well, in 2015. Yes. What an appalling mistake that was. Well, it's interesting as well, Stephen, that, that, that Donald Trump has not been a hypocrite, has not backed down on that assessment, has refused to use the H word 
this week despite tremendous pressure to do so. And yeah. I have to confess in a funny sort of a way, I, 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 I respect that decision from the president not really? to make himself wow. into a hypocrite. Not that I agree with his assessment, Stephen, but simply it is mm -hmm. quite clear that he did not like John McCain and he did not consider John McCain to be a hero. So just because the man has died, should he have bowed to the pressure of his chief of staff, General John Kelly, who drafted the official White House statement he wanted to be released last weekend describing John McCain as a hero? It would have buried the hatchet. It would have made the whole problem go away. Instead, Trump said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to send out a tweet I'm going to express my respect to the McCain family. I'm basically going to say nothing nice about John McCain. Yeah. I'm only going to have the, the flag at half-staff for one day rather than the usual week. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a bit of a poke in the eye to, to John McCain, but I guess that's part of the, the secret to Donald Trump's success. He never backs down. He never admits that he's wrong. He doubles down and he hits back twice as hard. Our guest on Open House is John Barron. He's an honorary associate at the U.S. Studies Centre um, at the University of Sydney. Um, he hosts Planet America and also the drama on ABC television, amongst other things. Donald Trump made a, a, an appearance himself this week at a, at a breakfast or a meeting with U.S. evangelicals, prominent church leaders, and um, called down sort of apoc apocalyptic references in relation to the Democrats. Uh, what was going on there? Well, Stephen, you and I have spoken before about the extraordinary level of, of support that Donald Trump enjoys and enjoyed through his election campaign in 2016 from evangelical Christians in the United States, a level of support that candidates like John McCain and Mitt Romney and others were not able to attract oh, for point. a variety of reasons. Great point. And yet, uh, Donald Trump has managed to maintain that, uh, that base of, of support, uh, and it endures to this day, which, which has a lot of, uh, of scholars and theologians in the United States pondering, has there been a decoupling uh, with evangelical voters between their personal faith and their views of their candidate? Because yeah. pre in previous decades, we have seen evangelicals getting behind the most outwardly godly of candidates, the likes of Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum. Yeah. And after a while, it seemed they got, they got sick of, of losing. So they thought they're going to maybe make a more pragmatic choice with, with Donald Trump. But nevertheless, they, they had this meeting the other day in the White House, as you say. And Donald Trump uh, basically said that, uh, that if Democrats win November's midterm congressional elections, we will lose everything that we've achieved, which, as far as evangelicals are concerned, the high on that list are two, well, one, one confirmed and a second about to be confirmed, uh, conservative, solidly pro-life uh, judges to the Supreme Court mm. of the United States, Neil mm. Gorsuch and, and now Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh, who, who uh, some Democrats fear, some, some pro-choice Americans fear, will overturn the, uh, the precedent set by the Roe versus Wade decision in the early 1970s. But President Trump then went further, not only to say that uh, would, would his, his conservative agenda be wound back, but that if Democrats win, we will see violence. And that raised a lot of eyebrows, this, this idea that we would um, be seeing violence as a result of uh, Democrat wins in November. Uh, of course, that is clearly uh, perhaps an inartful attempt by Donald Trump to try and rally his base of support to get out conservative voters in November who are losing a little bit of, uh, of, of their fervour in, in supporting Donald Trump. But the bottom line is that it tends to be older, 
white conservative Americans who vote in midterm elections uh, where the president themselves is not on the ballot, but all 435 members of the House, a third of the Senate and a third of the governor's mansions around the country are all being voted for. So it's hugely important, but it's maybe only 30% of the electorate that will take part. So he wants to make sure his base, particularly his evangelical base, gets out to vote. So hence that, that attempt to, to stir them up and, uh, and to suggest that, uh, that if the Democrats win, uh, that this is going to be a, a fairly apocalyptic future for the United States. Oh, my goodness. Keep your head down. Hey, John, people who are interested in um, John McCain might want to grab hold of your book written about that 2008 campaign. What's it called? It's called Vote For Me, and uh, it, it follows not just John McCain, but uh, Barack Obama's rise to become President uh, of the United States as well. And uh, it's one of those imponderables of, of, of history, of course, Stephen, as to what would have happened if John McCain, in either of his two attempts at the presidency, either in 2000 or 2008, uh, what would uh, America's course have been, whether it was in Afghanistan and Iraq after 9-11? Yeah. Would a, a former military commander-in-chief have made different and better decisions than George W. Bush, a, a draft dodger, had made? Uh, and indeed, if John McCain had won in 2008, rather than America's first African-American president, would we have seen the sort of the racial discontent and indeed the, uh, the white American male backlash against a black president that, uh, that heralded in Donald Trump. So we'll never quite know how America might have been different, would have been better or worse. Impossible to know. Wow. Vote for me, The Long Road to the White House by John Barron, who's been our guest. Thank you, John. It's uh, so good to talk to you as always. Pleasure, Stephen. John Barron from the US Studies Centre and uh, the ABC, a very uh, fine journalist and author indeed. Um, at the service Today, in the cathedral, one of um, McCain's sons, I think, um, read this. was was also read at, at McCain's father's funeral, I believe. It's Robert Louis Stevenson. Under the wide and starry sky, dig the grave and let me lie. Gladly did I live and gladly die, and I laid me down with a will. This be the verse you grave for me. Here he lies where he longed to be. Home is the sailor, home from the sea, and the hunter home from the hill. Wow. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.